sounds very tough. <laughs> he's laughing. He's having a good time. Good for you. Yeah, laugh it up. Enjoy your night. <laughs> Come on, Happy. Concentrate. Fight that clown. Easy. If you can't beat the clown, how are you going to beat Shooter McGavin? How many of us have ever been there? You identify with that in the video? Anybody in the room ever been so angry that you just lost complete control of yourself and you either did or said something really dumb, really destructive? I, I know I have. I'll be the first to admit it. And listen, I, I can give you an example from my life from a week ago. All right. Um, I, I went to the grocery store one evening about a week ago to pick up some things for dinner. Now, as I pull into the grocery store parking lot, I didn't realize that there was an event going on. And so I pull in and I'm just looking for a space and all the driving lanes in this parking lot, mind you, they're all one way. So you have to turn down a lane a certain way if you want to park in a certain space. So I see some empty spaces pretty close to the front of the store. But the problem was they were on a lane that I wasn't supposed to turn down. So what I needed to do was go to the next lane, turn down it, circle back around to get to those spaces. So I turned down that lane. I get about halfway down and I realize I'm blocked in. These event planners, they have coned off the end of this lane, and so I can't just circle back around. So my only option at that point is to put my truck in reverse and to start backing up to the nearest parking space. So I check my rearview mirror. Nobody's behind me. I start backing up, and as I'm backing up, I see this white SUV come around the corner. And he starts coming at me. Like, he's driving at me quick. Now, I'm a really stubborn guy. So in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm not stopping, right? Unless this guy, unless this guy wants to hit me, he needs to slow down and stop. So I'm literally playing chicken in the middle of this grocery store parking lot. I'm reversing. This white SUV is coming toward me. And just as I'm about to get to the space I'm backing up towards, this guy whips his SUV in and he parks. Yeah, that's how I felt as well. Now, I would love to tell you that in that moment, I was calm, cool, collected, gave the guy the benefit of the doubt, you know, shrugged it off, no big deal. But if I told you that, I'd be lying. I'm telling you, inside my truck, I am losing my mind. I'm, I'm yelling at the guy. He can't hear me, but I'm still yelling. I'm playing out hypothetical scenarios of how this thing's about to go down when I get out of my truck. You ever done that before? You get so mad, and in your mind, you're just playing it out. Here's how this confrontation's about to happen. That's what I'm doing. So I finally get to a parking spot. I get out of my truck, and I wish I was kidding, but I'm not kidding. I'm looking in this guy's direction. I'm walking. I'm just shaking my head, right, waiting on him to see me. Now, here's where the story gets really good. As I am fuming, shaking my head, can't believe this guy just did that, there are three people from our church outside the grocery store. James! Hey, James! 
And so, man, I, I go from fuming to faking, right? I am so mad, but I'm trying to act like I'm not. I'm trying to smile and, hey, how are you guys doing? And, and I'm standing there talking to these three people. And as I'm doing that, this guy walks right past me, locks eyes, like totally indifferent to what he had just done. Now, in that moment, I'm going to just straight up tell you, honestly, I got crazy convicted. And here's why. Because I realized I was this close to blowing it right? I was this close to letting anger get the best of me. And if I would have allowed that to happen, not only would I have failed in showing the love of Christ to this man all over something as petty as a parking space, but I would have blown it in front of people that go to this church who hear me week in and week out talking about the importance of living like Jesus and loving other people like he loves people. And you see, look, this is the danger of allowing anger to overtake us. When you and I allow anger to overtake us, the result is this. We treat people in a way that we should never treat people as Christ's followers. And as a result, we absolutely kill our ability to clearly and accurately reflect Jesus to those who are looking at our lives, which is why today's message on anger is so important. You see, we're diving back into Jesus' greatest sermon he ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. In today's passage, we find Jesus teaching us not only how we should view anger, but ultimately how we should respond to those people in our lives that make us angry. So if you have a Bible or if you have a version app on a device, grab it. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 5 with me. Matthew chapter 5. And uh, if you walked in the door, you don't have a Bible, didn't bring a device with you, man, you can feel free to read along with me on the screens, all right? Matthew 5, we're going to start reading in verse 21. And this is Jesus talking. He said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, Jesus makes a really strong point in the first two verses of this passage, and I'm just going to go ahead and show you the point. Here's his point. He tells us in these first two verses that anger is murder. Now, maybe you're looking at this and going, well, James, did you leave a couple words out? Because it may seem better to say that anger leads to murder. James, is that what you, you meant to say? And that's not what I meant to say because that's not what Jesus said. Right? Jesus doesn't open this passage and tell us, be careful not to get too angry with someone else because it may lead you to kill them to take their life. Instead, he makes the case that anger and murder are one and the same and they both carry the same consequence. And he makes this case by saying to his audience, his group of listeners, you guys have heard it said for for years and years now that you shouldn't murder another person, right? He's just pointing to the sixth commandment out of the list of the Ten Commandments. And he says, you know if you do that, then you're subject to judgment. And the judgment during Jesus' day for taking the life of another person was the death penalty. It was eye for an eye. You murdered someone, you were going to die as a result of, of that action. Well, Jesus tells these people, There's more to it than that. I mean, that teaching on murder is right, but it goes beyond just the physical act of murder. And Jesus says something next that would have floored these people. He says to them that if you have anger in your heart stored up toward another person, then you're liable to judgment just like the murderer. 
He says, if you express that anger by insulting someone, by attacking that person's character, by attacking their identity, by calling the names like fools, morons, nobodies, that's the language that Jesus used here. He says, you're not only subject to the judgment of man, but ultimately you are subject to the judgment of God. So listen, don't miss these questions. Here are the questions I want to ask you. Who are you angry with? Who are you angry with? Who in your life right now do you resent? Who are you bitter towards? Who in your life are you holding a grudge against? Who's that person in your life that you find yourself insulting, talking about behind their backs, calling morons, calling idiots, calling nobodies? Who's that person? Who is that person that you get on Facebook and you ran about? Who is that person? Some of us have an answer to that, don't we? Because we do that all the time. Who is that person? Here's the reason I'm asking these questions. I'm asking because I want to make this teaching of Jesus really easy for us to understand. You see, the name of that person that you have in your mind right now, Jesus says that your anger toward them makes you just as guilty as if you were to leave this service, hunt them down, and physically take their life. Now listen, those are hard words from Jesus, aren't they? Man, if you were here last week, you probably remember me saying that in the New Testament, Jesus actually takes the Old Testament law and commands to a completely different level for us as his followers, and this is a great example of what I was talking about. And the reason Jesus teaches like this is simple. It's because he's trying to get at our hearts. You see, I told you this last week, and I'm going to repeat this truth time and time again throughout this entire series. I want you to know that God is way more interested in your heart than he is in your outward behavior. You get that, right? Like God wants you more than anything else to truly love him, to truly love other people, He doesn't want you just to go through religious motions so that you can put on a facade to try and and communicate to other people what's not really true about you. Church, God wants your heart. And in this passage, Jesus is pointing to the fact that when we remain angry with another person in our life, it exposes the fact that we have a heart issue that we have failed to truly surrender our hearts to God, our emotions, our wills, our decision-making abilities. We failed to surrender our hearts to God and all he wants from us and all he wants for us. So the big question we gotta answer today is this, what do we do with that? And how in the world do we respond in a healthy God-honoring way to those feelings of anger that may be trapped inside of us toward another person? Well, I want to give you four really practical answers to that question that all come from this passage in which we're hanging out today. So if you take a notes, this is helpful stuff to write down. First, if you want to deal with anger in a healthy, God-honoring way, the first thing you have to do is you have to understand that anger is a choice. Anger is a choice. Now, when you pay attention to the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, the implication of this truth is there. You see, Jesus teaches in a way that lets us know that, that we don't only choose whether or not to physically murder someone, but you and I as his followers also make a conscious decision as to whether or not we store up hearts in our anger toward, or anger in our hearts toward people. And just so you know, this teaching, it's consistent throughout the entire Bible. And I'm going to prove it to you, all right? So I'm going to just read some verses. Listen to these. Psalm 37, 8. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. 
A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Listen to this. I love this. Proverbs 16, 32. Better a patient man than a warrior. Better a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Proverbs 23. It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to vent his anger. Listen to this one. I love this one. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his anger. But a wise man keeps himself under control. How about this one? This next one will preach. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry man stirs up dissension and a hot-tempered man commits many sins. It's easy to do some dumb stuff when you're mad, isn't it? Absolutely. I think we all can identify with that. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And finally, James 1, 19 through 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. That's why God gives us two ears and one mouth, right? Remember that? And we should also be slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. You see, all those passages, and I could keep reading them because there's more. But all those passages, along with the teachings of Jesus, point to the same truth. And it's this truth on the screen. That anger is choice. See, the mistake that I think a lot of people make when it comes to anger is this. Instead of viewing anger as a choice, a lot of people view anger as a reflex. You you know what a reflex is, right? You ever been to the doctor, you sit on the edge of the table, you're getting a physical, and he gets out the little hammer and he taps your knee, and your leg just kind of kicks out uncontrollably. And you can try as hard as you want to stop it, but as long as he hits that knee in the right place, your leg is going to move. Again, some of us view anger this way as an emotion that becomes uncontrollable once tapped into. Too many people believe that once somebody makes me angry, there's nothing I can really do about it. Anger's a reflex. It has to work its way out in my life. But church, what's the problem with that way of thinking? Just book a hold in my hand, right? Because the Bible says, no, 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 anger's not a reflex. Anger is a choice. Every single one of us choose whether or not to be angry with another person. And can I just be honest with you? Let's be honest with ourselves. Nobody in the room has that excuse of being the incredible Hulk. Like none of us can make the excuse of, I get mad, I turn green, put on my purple shorts, I have to destroy everything. Like that's my only option. That's not your only option. You you actually have a second option. and, And the second option is to not let your anger get the best of you. And why? Because anger is a choice. And you either choose to control your anger, or I promise you, your anger will control you. The second point is this. Not only do we understand that anger is a choice, but we have to choose to be angry with sin, not sinners. We have to choose to be angry with sin, not sinners. Maybe you know the Bible a little bit, and so you're thinking to yourself, isn't Jesus being kind of a hypocrite? Because I, I seem to remember some stories in the Bible where Jesus got angry. So how in the world could Jesus in Matthew 5 tell us not to be angry when there's clear proof that that Jesus during his time on the earth, he got angry? Well, that's a great question, by the way. And to understand it, what we have to first understand is this. In this passage we're studying today, Jesus isn't condemning all feelings and all expressions of anger. 
What he is condemning is sinful anger directed at and expressed toward another person. That's what he's condemning. You see, the Bible describes what we would call righteous anger, which is good anger. It's anger directed at those things that sin has done to our world. And just so you know, these things that I'm about to tell you about, they make God angry as well. These would be things like poverty, suffering, injustice, death, disease, all of these things that sin has done to our world. So you have to understand, you and I as people, we should get angry when we hear stories of kids in in other countries dying of starvation. We should get angry when we hear stories of people dying from a lack of clean water. We should get angry when we hear the stories of young girls being sold into sex slavery. We should get angry when powerful people exploit and take advantage of the powerless. All those things should infuriate us as followers of Jesus and ultimately cause us to do something about them. See, Jesus isn't saying don't get mad. He's just saying get mad about the right things. And when you study those stories in which Jesus got angry, that's the very stuff you see him getting angry about. For example, John chapter 2. Jesus, he's going into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast, along with countless other Jewish people. They're all coming in from out of town. And he walks into the temple, and what he finds is a group of vendors selling animals. These animals were there so that people coming in from out of town could purchase them and then make sacrifices for their sins. Now, it sounds like a good deal, but the problem was this. Those vendors were selling those animals at ridiculously high prices. They were taking advantage of poor and powerless people and making money off of their efforts to seek out God's forgiveness. And Jesus walks in the temple, he sees it, and he gets angry. He starts flipping over tables... He makes a whip and he he drives these men out of the temple with a whip. Jesus was mad. He was mad with sinful behavior that was hurting others. But when you study the Bible, here's what you don't find. You don't ever find a story of Jesus getting angry at a sinful person for personally attacking him, for offending him, for insulting him. Yet church, isn't this the very stuff that we oftentimes get most angry about? It is, isn't it? When people insult us, when people gossip about us, when people hurt us, talk behind our backs, that's when we get angry most often times. And I think the reason we do that is because a lot of us, we view anger as a right. Not only a reflex, but we view it as a right. If somebody makes me mad, if somebody lies, if somebody cheats, if somebody steals from me, I have every right in the world to be angry. Well, here's what you got to understand. As a follower of Jesus, that's not true. Do you realize that when you chose to become a follower of Jesus Christ, you gave up your rights? And Jesus is teaching us in this passage that anger against a sinful person who attacks us personally is no longer a right that belongs to us. You see, Jesus is condemning that kind of anger because that anger not only damages and destroys relationships, but that kind of anger also prevents us from truly reflecting the love of Christ to those people in our lives that probably need to see it the most. And can I just tell you, man, that Jesus has every right to call us to that way of living? Here's why, because that's how Jesus lived. The proof of it. I'll give you another example. Isaiah 53 The prophet Isaiah, he's writing about the cross of Jesus. And he tells us that when Jesus died, he would be falsely accused. He would be unjustly condemned to death. That people would actually consider him cursed by God. He'd be beaten. He would be mocked. 
He would be put to death as an innocent man, yet he would never open his mouth. He would never try to defend himself. He wouldn't trade insult for insult. He wouldn't fight back. Church, he wouldn't get angry. Instead, he would allow the very sinful people that he was there to die for, to nail him to a cross. And from that cross, he prayed a simple prayer for those people. And it wasn't, God, look at what they're doing to me. God, strike them down, take them out. It was, God, just forgive them. God, would you forgive? They have no idea what they're doing. God, would you forgive these people? So you've got to understand, people are going to sin against us. People are going to attack us. They're going to offend us. They're going to insult us, even people in our lives that should love us the most. And we all have a choice to make in those moments. We can choose to vent our anger, to take it out on that person who's hurt us, who's offended us. Our other choice is we can be like Jesus. We can refuse to trade insult for insult. We can show that person grace. And we can pray every day that God would forgive them and ultimately change their lives. That's the choice. The third thing is this. We've got to work to undo anger that we've caused in others. If we want to deal with anger in a healthy, God-honoring way, we have to undo anger that we've caused in others. And let's not try and act all super spiritual like we don't make people mad at times, right? Because we do. All of us are guilty of that. And, and to kind of help us understand this point, we're going to read the rest of this passage. So go back to Matthew 5 with me. Look at verse 23. Let's keep reading and see what Jesus says. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Now, in this passage, Jesus gives us two scenarios to communicate the importance of undoing anger that we've caused or created in others. And first, here's the scenario. He says, if you come to worship God in a setting like the one we're in this morning, and you show up and you remember, oh, there's somebody that's angry with me. There's somebody that I've hurt. There's somebody that I've offended. Jesus said, you actually need to put your worship of God on hold you need to leave, go make that relationship right, and then come back and finish what you showed up to do. You see, this again just proves the fact that God is more interested in our hearts than in our outward behavior. I mean, how crazy is it to think that, that God would rather us leave a service like this to go make something right with a brother or sister in Christ? He'd rather us do that than, than stay here and fake our way through a worship service. I mean, it's unbelievable, but, but this is what Jesus is trying to teach us. Secondly, Jesus describes a scenario in which an accuser or somebody that might view us as their enemy is taking a person to court over a debt that they owe them. You see, in the ancient world, you could actually take somebody to court if they owed you money, have them thrown in prison until they agreed to pay you. Thank God that's not the case anymore, right? Some of us would be in trouble. But you could actually do that in Jesus' day. And, and Jesus' point here is... If there's somebody that you've angered, if you owe someone something and they view you as an enemy, do everything in your power to undo the wrong that you've caused before that person does everything in their power to wreck and destroy your life. 
Now, in both of these scenarios, Jesus is making a simple point. Here's the point. Not only is he telling us that we need to work hard to undo the anger that we've created in other people, but he's telling us that we should work to do that with a great sense of urgency. And why should we do it with a great sense of urgency? Well, here's why. Because we know, according to Jesus, how serious an issue anger is in the life of a person. We know as followers of Christ, because of what the Bible teaches, what anger can do if, if it goes unresolved in the life of a person. It can not only damage them, but it can damage those around them. And because we know that, the last thing we should ever want to do as a follower of Jesus is to hurt someone, offend someone, make them angry, never address that anger, and just allow that anger to grow in their life. So you have to understand, one of the reasons we undo anger quickly is for the other person's good and benefit. So here's what this means for us, all right? It means that some of us in the room today We need to have some conversations with some people in our life today, like today. It it may mean for some of us that instead of sticking around for the song that we've got slated for the end of this service, it may mean that you need to pack your stuff up and you need to head out of here early. Like I'm giving you permission to do that. You may need to get on the phone with someone, drive to somebody's house. You may need to pull somebody in this room, out of this room and go into the parking lot to talk. I'm just telling you, what you don't need to do is sit through another song and fake your way through it if there's somebody you need to make something right with. Now, again, I I know the fear. The fear is this. Well, James, what if I do that? What if I go and I apologize, I lay my pride down, ask for forgiveness, and that person in my life decides they want to stay angry with me? Well, here's what I'd say to you. That's on them. That's on them. Your job is to seek peace. Your job is to confess your sin. Your job is to love that person well, you don't worry about how they might respond. See, Paul tells us in Romans 12, 18, that as far as it depends on us, we should seek to live at peace with everyone. So listen, you do your part. You don't worry about them doing their part. You let God deal with their hearts. You just be obedient. Now, what this also means for some of us is this. It means that some of us in the room may need to finally let go of that anger we have towards someone in our lives that we've been refusing to forgive that we've been choosing to stay angry with. And it means that we need to make that decision today. Today, not next week, not years from now. We need to make that decision today to finally let go of those feelings of bitterness and resentment toward whoever that person is in our life. I mean, I'm just gonna confess and be honest. That's hard to do. And I know what some of us are already thinking. You're thinking, James, that's impossible for me. You don't know my story. You don't know what this person has done to me. You don't know how I've been treated And here's what I would remind you, and I'm not downplaying anybody's story because I know some of us have been through some unbelievable stuff, but I just want to remind you that as followers of Jesus, we choose to forgive other people, not based on what other people have done to us. We choose to forgive others based on the fact that we understand just how much we've been forgiven. You see, you understand, you understand that all you deserve from God is his anger, right? because of how you've treated him at times, because of how you've offended him. We've all been guilty of that. But isn't it amazing that God chooses to forgive us and his way of forgiveness ultimately cost him the very life of his son, Jesus Christ. And by letting go of anger and agreeing to forgive other people in our lives, what we prove is that we ultimately understand just how much the God of this universe has forgiven us as sinful people. 
Now, the, the last point. The last point is this. We've got to reach out to God for help. If we want to deal with our anger in a healthy, God-honoring way, we have to reach out to God for help. Again, I, I know that there's probably somebody in this room thinking, James, this sounds impossible. Maybe you walked in and you're an angry person. Maybe there are people in your life that you've been angry at for a long time now. And even though all this sounds good and right, you're in your head saying to yourself right now, never going to do it. I can't do it. That's impossible for me. And what I would say to you is this. You're right. It is impossible to do what we're talking about today. Absolutely impossible to let go of anger. Absolutely impossible to actually have the humility required to go to someone that you've angered and to seek out their forgiveness. All those things are absolutely impossible if you try to do them on your own which is exactly why we need God's help. And and listen, that's the whole point of Jesus' great sermon that we're walking through in calling us to a standard of living that we can never produce on our own. Jesus forces us to reach out for, for for the grace, the mercy, and the help we need. And the reason you need God's help to overcome anger in your life is simple. And it goes back to what I said earlier in this message. Anger is an issue of the heart. And you can't change your own heart. Right? You can change your behavior. You can get around that person that you can't stand and, and fake being nice to them. You can act like there's nothing wrong when inside you just want to kill them, right? You can't change your own heart. God has to do that for you. And here's the beautiful news. God can do it for you, and he wants to do it for you, but you've got to be willing to reach out to him for help. Now, to prove that what I'm saying to you is true, I want you to hear the story of a man in our church. His name is Chris who experienced several years ago a moment of anger. And he reached out to God for help, and God changed his life in a truly supernatural way. And I pray that his story might let some of us know today what God is capable of if, in fact, we'll trust in him. So let's turn our attention toward the screens and check this out. I came into the United States from Iran in 1973. And uh, I was 17 years old then. Um, I was born into an Islamic family. My parents both were Muslims. I came to the United States. At the time, Iran was one of the U.S. allies, and it was a great place to come and study. And I wanted to learn to become a pilot. A few years later, in 1991, I actually managed to start an airline, uh, an air charter company. we had started with one airplane, and a few years later, we purchased a few more and so forth. And uh, sometimes in 1996 and 97, uh, Cessna, they had some really good salespeople. They came over and talked me into buying an airplane that I really couldn't afford, but they said that it comes with a contract. If you bought it, they showed me where I could buy with the airplane. And, and the contract lasted a while, and, but then it went away. So I ended up with a couple of airplanes that had no work. I found a company in uh, Las Vegas that used to take tourists from different countries that come to Las Vegas and maybe the United States and take them from North Las Vegas Airport, fly them all over Las Vegas and over the canyon and in the canyon and all out to Grand Canyon Airport and back, basically. So me and my chief pilot at the time, we grabbed two airplanes. It was a long flight went all the way down there and started flying for him. And after a day or so, we went to him for a 
hey, and they kept coming up with different excuses. The accountant wasn't there, the bookkeeper wasn't there, the checkbook wasn't there, and so we kept flying, and the flying was pretty gruesome flying. My wife had just given birth to it. my firstborn son, and uh, it was very exciting, and we wanted to do really good, and hopefully make some money and help our company. Finally put our foot down and said, okay, we, we need to get paid or we're not gonna fly. And so when we did that, the gentleman that owned the company, he actually made a false report to the FAA in Las Vegas, and saying that our airplanes were not airborne and that we were flying illegally. I went to the FAA office in Las Vegas trying to explain to them that these guys are trying to snowball us and they don't have the money to pay us. For a period of 21 days, our company was shut down. And so we kept, you know, it was a very huge economic setback for me at the time. I ended up having to borrow money from my brother, my brother-in-law, everybody that I knew. And I was extremely angry because I left my son back home and I, you know, one month old boy and dying to see him and be with my family and everything and my uh, chief pilot and I we, we decided that we're gonna basically get even with this guy and we decided that we were gonna basically take him out outside of Las Vegas in the desert and do away with him. That day that we were going to do that uh, about noon we were done. We dug our hole and found our place and practice and everything and on the way back to Las Vegas there was a small plaza type mall. While we were in this little plaza we noticed there was a store, a bookstore, that was going out of business and all their books were being sold for a dollar. And at the time of course we had no other entertainment, we weren't flying and so we decided we'd go and buy a few books and read. I, uh, Pick just one book, you know, a couple of books I don't remember, but this particular book was written exclusively about New Testament. It was the New Testament in an everyday language. And so when I read this, and about an hour or two afterwards, it just overwhelmed me. Uh, the writing, to me, was so different than anything I had ever seen, even though I'd been to college and read thousands of books and everything, I'd never read this and never, never had witnessed this type of words, this type of language. The Word of God just stood up and right away it convinced me. I accepted Christ right there and then and I forgave this man. I actually started praying for him. And at that time, um, you know, it was just amazing. From that point on, my life changed. Uh, within a few weeks, uh, the amount of money that these guys took from us was completely replenished through grace of the Lord. I had more contracts and more business that I could ever keep up with. Had to buy additional airplanes, additional pilots, and so forth. And you know, all the money that I borrowed from everyone, like my brother and brother-in-law and family, I was not only able to pay that back, but to give them extra and additional just to keep. And uh, all I can tell you is that I only, I had no knowledge of Christ prior to that and only accepted Christ right there and then by faith. So here's a guy ready, truly ready 
to physically murder another man. And on the same day he's planning to do that, I love this part of Chris's story, God interrupts his plans and changes his life. Listen, I, I believe that somebody walked into this room today because God wants to interrupt your plans. He wants to change you. I believe that somebody walked in here today angry, frustrated, bitter, resenting another person, maybe even seeking revenge. And today is your Las Vegas Plaza experience. Today is the day that God wants to meet you where you are, to change your life, to free you of anger, and to give you a new life from this point on. So here's what I'm saying, every person in this room, if God can do it for a guy like Chris, he can do it for you. He can change you, but you have to be willing to reach out to him for help. If you don't know Jesus as your savior, you got to start there. You got to put your faith in him because again, what you don't need is just behavior change. You need a heart change and only God can change your heart. So you have to start there. For those of us in the room who know Jesus and who you're angry with, who you're frustrated with, who you're failing to forgive, whose forgiveness do you need? Here's what I want to say to you. Today's the day. Now is the time. No more waiting. No more playing games. No more putting it on hold. No more I'll get to it tomorrow. Today is the day. And we're going to pray and we're going to ask for God's help to take the step that we need. So I want you to just join me in prayer all over this room. God, we are saying to you today, we need your help. This is too hard for us. God, all this this anger stuff that we deal with, all of us deal with it. God, we can't do what you're asking us to do on our own. So God, we're asking you to meet us where we are today and help us, help us. If you're that person that you walked in the room today and you don't know Jesus, okay, man, I want to give you the chance to do it. I just want you right where you are to say something to God like this in prayer. Just say to him, God, I'm, I'm tired of being the same person I've always been. God, I, I want you to make me a different person. And God, I'm putting my faith in Jesus today as my personal Savior. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead so that I could be made new and so that I could enjoy eternal life with you after my life on this earth is over. God, take my life and change me. Make me into the person that you want me to be. God, my prayer for the rest of us. God, give us courage. Give us humility. Whatever we need to take the step that you're asking us to take, God, would you just give that to us? We're trusting you for that. So I didn't plan on doing this this morning, but I'm just going to do it anyway. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you're on a response team, I just want you to get out of your seat, and I want you to come to the front of this room, if you will. Some of us in the room, maybe we need to pray with somebody about something going on in our life. We need somebody to pray over us that we can take the step that God's calling us to take. Man, I want you to take the step and to come and to pray. I'm going to come off the front of the stage. I'll pray with you. Any of these people will pray with you. And I'm just challenging you. Don't let today be just another day at church. Whatever God is asking you to do, do it. If you need to leave early before we start singing, leave the room and go make whatever right, whatever you need to make right, make it right. God, would you let your spirit just invade this place, God? 
Let your presence be undeniable. God, don't let us leave this place unchanged. God, we love you so much and we thank you for the way that you love us. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust you. We pray this in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Listen, if if you need to make a move, you make a move. I want to invite all of us to stand to our feet right now and you do whatever God's asking you to do. Let's go.